Dr. Ray, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, Michael? I'm doing okay, thanks. Hey, good, good. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Chalk Dust Podcast, where teachers talk about their experiences in the classroom. Because once the dust settles, every teacher has a story to tell. This is Kirby Alexander, your host, and today I'm talking with Dr. Michael Fagella-Luby, a professor of education at TCU and director of the Alice Neely Special Education Research and Service Institute, commonly referred to as the Answers Institute. Michael and I have been colleagues since 2013 when he joined the faculty in the College of Education. Over the years, I've been inspired by Michael's passion and expertise in education, but more importantly, we've become friends. Join me today as Michael talks about his first year as a high school English and chemistry teacher. Yes, you heard that right. Let's jump on in and get started. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking some time to uh, talk with uh, me and the listeners about your experiences in education, both your experience in K-12 and uh, and your experience as a, as a professor in higher education. So uh, thank you for uh, talking with us. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks, Kirby. Absolutely. So, you know, first of all, just tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing now. Uh, where are you teaching? Um kind of what, what's your, your area of focus, uh, that kind of thing. Sure, sure. Uh, so I am currently a professor of special education at Texas Christian University, and I also wear the hat of being the director of the Alice Neely Special Education Research and Service, or what we call the Answers Institute, mm-hmm. uh, which is a special education institute in the College of Education at TCU. Uh, and uh, as you guess, I, I teach classes related to how do we help prepare teachers to work with kids with a variety of disabilities? Uh, and I do that, I, I kind of think about it as three levels. And, and, you know, as I think about my career in education, it sort of parallels that. I, I think about how teachers work with kids instructionally, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And then I think about sort of the, the curriculum that we have, sort of the what we teach that goes with the how we teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, the last thing that I found as a teacher that I think is so important is how do we put teachers into systems where they can be successful, where they're not in the, the last outpost in the West by themselves when they close the door, but they're connected mm-hmm. to something larger in their school that, that helps them be successful. So that's kind of how I spend my days and nights. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and it's very similar to, I think, how I spend my days and nights. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah, very good. So, you know, I want to kind of uh, jump back, you know, Toward the beginning, uh, you know, when you were finishing uh, your undergrad, was your intention uh, right from the get-go to to be a teacher? Yeah, great. Wow, great question. Uh, so I was, um, I went to college to, uh, you know, go to medical school. My mom is a hmm. nurse. My dad is a pharmacist. So mm-hmm. I was going to go to medical school because that way I could tell my parents what to do. Right. Right. That was the <laughs> of every firstborn child. Yeah. Uh, and uh, sort of the way I tell the story, uh, Kirby, is, you know, I, uh, I was taking my, my science prereqs and just not enjoying it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started taking English classes and I found out you could be pre-med, but you could also major in something that wasn't a science. And I realized I, I love English literature and I can do that. Well, that's great. When I don't want to do my physics homework, I do my English homework. Right. I could, I could study this. This is great. Uh-huh. So I, I, uh, I decided to be an English major and still do the pre-med thing. And then even the pre-med thing just started to wane. 
Uh, but the pivotal moment for me that, that I oftentimes tell my students is junior year, I, uh, I started dating a woman and I, and I wanted to take some classes with her. So, you know, I was like, oh, that's a good idea. We can spend right. some quality time. And she was studying education. And I thought, this is, this is super. And I, uh, I tell my students, you know, I sort of, I fell in love with two things that semester. You know, one was this girl who broke my heart later, and that's my own <laughs> sob story. Right. <laughs> but the other is I, I, I realized that these classes that I was taking, I was loving that even as much as I loved English literature, there was something about planning lessons to explain it and, and the reading I was doing on philosophy, courses like the ones you teach, mm-hmm. I was just crazy about it. But the catch was, I, it was too late. I couldn't major in education. I was, uh-huh. I was still an English major, but I couldn't major in education. And so what ended up happening was I applied my senior year. I, I went to a small Jesuit school in Worcester, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, College, of, College of the Holy Cross. And their really big push was uh, the, the slogan on campus was sort of men and women for others. And so how do we do service in our community and in our world? And I got really excited about doing a year of service after I graduated. Mm-hmm. And one of the programs that was available was something called the Alliance for Catholic Education. And it was a two-year master's program at the University of Notre Dame where okay. you lived in a poor or underfunded area somewhere in the southeastern United States. Mm-hmm. Now their program runs coast-to-coast, and it's probably international at this point. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and so uh, I applied for this program. Uh, a, a note to the listeners who might be seniors in college, uh, this was the program I wanted. It was going to be a master's degree, Notre Dame, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And I got waitlisted. I didn't get in, Kerb. Oh, wow. Uh, I had to, I accepted a different position, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go down and teach in Louisiana and sort of make a go of it. Um, and I got a phone call one night. Senior year spring, I get a phone call. Uh-huh. And the director of the program at Notre Dame says, listen, somebody can't do the program. You were pre-med, and they need somebody who can teach uh, uh, chemistry and English. And you're like, the only guy we can think of who can do that. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. So, uh, so the, the funny thing about my story is, to answer your question, is yeah. I was taking these education classes, but not majoring in education. And I had com- so I completed the course sequence, but no student teaching. And seven days after I graduated from Holy Cross, I was dragging a trunk full of books and clothes like Rudy in the beginning of the movie yeah. walking across the Notre Dame campus. Kirby, they even dropped me off the taxi. I just knew to go to Notre Dame. I didn't know where to go, Kirby. Right. So they just dropped <laughs> me at the gates at Notre Dame. <laughs> I dragged this trunk all around campus. Oh, my I'm word. Under the phrase. Uh, and so we did like 10 weeks of summer school. And then I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, which is where I started my teaching okay. position. And, gotcha. Uh, I, was, I was at Bishop Kenny High School for... Uh, Again, teaching chemistry, uh, two sections of chemistry, and then four sections of English language arts, ninth graders. Um, and I guess so that was really the beginning wow. of my story. I think that was your question. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it was very strange path to get me there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's amazing. So you know, in the in the days leading up to when you were moving to Jacksonville and you were going to start teaching, you know, what were you feeling? You know, were you just was it? You know, was it? dread were you excited you know some combination <laughs> yeah uh I, I i like to say that you know if you're not a little bit scared about something you probably don't really care about it mm-hmm. and uh sometimes you're you're a lot scared and you really care about it a lot oh yeah which might might sort of sum it up 
Yeah. I did. I had that. Uh, I had that angst of teaching for the first time, being in a place where um, I wanted to do so well for these kids. I felt so called to be a part of this community, mm-hmm. to be so respectful of teachers. I mean, I'd always, always really loved uh, and admired my teachers. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, not all of them. We all have, we all have a range of teachers in our lives, but they had affected me. Yeah, and I wanted to be that for my students. So I was. I was incredibly nervous. I had some, you know, I had some advantages in that, like I, I arrived on a train at, um, gosh, I think Madden and I got in at like, maybe it was 11 mid- midnight, our train arrived oh, wow. from Philly, we had, we had come through Philly, and our housemates, there were seven of us teachers living in a convent, an abandoned convent. Oh seven my gosh. Remember the, you're, you're above my age, you remember the TV show, The Real World? Oh Yeah. It was the originals. It was like that. It was like seven young teachers living together. And uh, so we were there to support each other. But anyway, I, I got home to this house, which we didn't live in. Somebody had dragged a, a sheet across the bedroom that I was going to be in, like a, across the mattress. Mm-hmm. I fell asleep on that. And I woke up at 6.30 about five hours later because I had to be at the first day of volleyball tryouts. And oh I was gosh. an assistant volleyball coach <laughs> as part of what I was doing. The nice thing about it was, I did. I cared. I was nervous, but I also had the luxury of not enough time, and I just had to throw myself into it. And I, I probably made a million mistakes the first day and the first couple weeks of teaching. Mm-hmm. But I also I had to. Like I had, it was your classroom. Yeah, you had to show up every day. But yeah, as prepara- in preparations for it, gosh, I remember reading ten things for one that I would be able to include in a lesson. Right and and trying to uh, oh gosh that horrible feeling Kirby remember of like okay on Sunday afternoon I'm gonna plan my Monday you know lesson <laughs> plan I'll, I'll be good to go oh yeah and and lesson plan either taking um, five minutes you know I thought right. I thought it was fifty minutes and it took yeah. five or it was three days worth of material because yeah. I had no sense of the rhythm of it uh, yeah and you just you kind of rock and roll oh uh, yeah kind of rock and roll with it. And you know, the other thing yeah. that I would say early on that was, was challenging was, uh, I thought at a high school, right? Right. So we had, uh, 1,650 students on the St. John's river in Jacksonville and we had a huge campus. We had two buildings, several, uh, portable classrooms. And I taught in a chemistry lab, mm-hmm. four other classrooms. I didn't have my own classroom. So I had four, I had five total classrooms that I moved between during the oh day. Oh my gosh. And so I would actually, I taught chemistry first and last period. So I would actually teach chemistry. Then I would, that's a lab, so you have to be there. Then I would take all my stuff and I would put it in a backpack or in one of those, you know, carry-alls that you take with you. Yep. And I would walk to four different classrooms. And I would, at, after the last class, I would turn to go back to teach chemistry. And I remember thinking, Kirby, that, like, I don't remember what I taught this morning. Like I had been going bell to bell oh, yeah. to bell. <laughs> and, and as an English teacher, I'm sort of using the other side of my brain, right? Right. And I would get to the chemistry classroom and I would open the door and the smell would hit me, you know, from all the chemicals and the stuff. Yeah. There. And it would sort of hit me. Oh, right. That's what I'm teaching today. Molarity. You know, and it, was, <laughs> it was just such a strange experience to go yeah. minute to minute. So, oh my yeah, word. That's somehow how it started. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, uh, you know, so what was it like when you finally met the students, you know, kind of describe that side of it, you know, so there's the content side, getting ready yeah. for teaching, you know, kind of talk about what was it like just getting to, getting to know uh, the kids and getting used to working with high school kids. 
Yeah, great question. Um, you know, so so it was Catholic school, so the kids were all in uniforms, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that was new to me. I was a public school educated kid. I, I had never been to uh, a, a private K twelve school, mm-hmm. so it was it was wild to be in my first period class, and you know, there's all these sweet kids wearing white shirts and blue pants or plaid skirts. Yeah, and I I couldn't believe. I think a lot of teachers, and I don't know if you're still like this, but almost every every year the night before the semester starts there's a moment for me of what will happen tomorrow who will these oh. students be will, mm-hmm. and the, the terrifying thought which we'll say in the podcast but you know hopefully uh, uh people will connect with you know will they listen to me right. will they accept my sort of the authority and responsibility that I have in the front of the class yes. and that was one of the first things that I thought was so sweet was mm-hmm. These these kids were they were willing to listen to me. I was, you know, I was twenty two years old, and I had seniors that were eighteen. So, you know, there were kids who were four years younger than I was, fr- freshmen in college next year, and they gave me a chance. And it was something that I've I've been forever grateful for is that mentality of um, giving people a giving people an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, don't what is the chancellor say? Don't don't assume people are idiots. Give them a chance to prove it to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, <laughs> My uh, my students really did that for me. They really gave me a chance and an opportunity to try and teach them. Mm-hmm. And then they also, they were so willing to share who they were. And yeah. I think my favorite moments across all my years of teaching are when we got away from, okay, I've got 30 kids in front of me and, you know, there are some boys and some girls and some brown hair and some brown hair and whatever. But we started to find out like different kids' personalities right? and different things they were good. The kid who in 1998 was designing web pages when that wasn't even a thing, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> and I was like, what, you know, what are you doing? Tell me about that. And um, our, certainly I was very involved with our student athletes because I was a, a volleyball coach. Mm-hmm. So I got to see that side of my, my students as well. But I was also a club sponsor and I got to see kids who were just really smart or really service-driven I got to see kids who, who also, you know, got in trouble for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. but also had these warm personalities. And I appreciated so much when I got to see who they really were. And I, and I think, I hope it's part of the reason I got the privilege of, of witnessing that with them was that, that they got to see that in me, mm-hmm. that I always sort of wear my heart on my sleeve. And, you know, I, I probably again, for first year, early career teachers, there was a lot of, I don't know what you call it when it's not really good wisdom, but there was a lot of uh, people saying, you know, don't smile until Thanksgiving and make sure that your students know you're serious. And mm-hmm. you, you, I just couldn't, I couldn't have been a teacher Kirby if I'd done that. Right. Uh, I think my first, my first three minutes of class, I'd smiled 17 times and told them how happy I was to see them, that I'd right. literally been waiting <laughs> the, my whole life to have this opportunity to teach them. Yeah. And I still do that today. I mean, I still, I still think that that's, an important, genuine connection. So I hope, yeah. I hope part of getting to know them is that I'm sharing who I am too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's, that's one of the, I think for me, the best parts of, of the profession is just getting to know the, the people that you're, that you're working with every day. Um, and so, you know, I know in the, in the early parts of the year, you're just kind of getting to know each other and, you know, it's kind of a, almost like a honeymoon period. 
you know, uh, <laughs> describe kind of that transition when you had to really kind of get into the day-to-day work of, of a teacher, like you're planning lessons, you're really thinking more about like, you know, how do I make sure that they're learning something? <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, I love that, that expression, sort of that, the tr- when was the transition, the honeymoon being over? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I, th- I think the a pivotal moment for me was I oftentimes tell people I, I taught chemistry and English. I, I never said I taught chemistry. Well, I just taught it, you know, like I, I, that was, that was really hard for me. It was, it was humbling to have been so good at something mm-hmm. and so bad at teaching it. Um, and it was really a lesson in just because I know what to do doesn't mm-hmm. mean I know how to clearly communicate it to students. Right. And I think my, my transition was, okay, so I've been, I've, I've taught this one way. They didn't get it. I taught it a second way. They still didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I, what do I do? And I, I remember um, a really pivotal moment for me was probably, Oh, I hope it was a few weeks into school. I, mm-hmm. I don't know when it was. Right. But I, I had a, a housemate. I mentioned I had a, had a housemate who was also a teacher. She was a, Michelle was a year ahead of me in the program. It okay. was actually her classroom for chemistry that I taught in. So okay. she taught uh, four or five periods of chemistry, and then I taught, I taught the other two. Okay. And she was a chemistry major. She, this was her thing. She, she knew it inside and out. And the teachers that we had in the chemistry department were an endowed chair at a high school of chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. We had the teacher, the previous year's teacher of the year. And then we had this woman who had been a chem major. And then we had little old, you know, Mike Fagella, right? <laughs> doing his best to make it up. And I remember, um, sitting with Michelle in, in my room at my desk and saying, okay, I think, I think this is where I need to go next with the, the plans for our class and her pushing back and saying, but you can't do that yet. You've got to do this first. And mm-hmm. I remember coming to tears because I was so overwhelmed with, but I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to help them. And being, I think it's a, a, a an interesting combination when we care about something so much, you're sort of angry and sad all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, as you wrestle with those emotions, that was, that was really pivotal for me. She was great. She put her hand on my shoulder and said, no, hold on. You can do this. Let's talk about how we're going to work on this together. And just that comfort and that support helped me to then re sort of imagine what the task of being a teacher was because you're right. I mean, there's, there's grading and, and you and I were teachers back in the day when cut and paste meant literally scissors and tape and, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. going to a copy machine with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I like to tease the students now, you know, you want a lesson plan, put something in Google and you'll have 3000 hits. Exactly. We had to, we had to make stuff up. Right. Exactly. Uh, I, know, I know how true that was. But, um, you yeah. know, it was, it was a long process of Sunday afternoons, grading and lesson planning and, and learning what the rhythm was like. Are you going to take yeah. Friday night off? Are you going to you gonna take Saturday off? Well, yeah. Sunday's going to come because the kids will be there Monday. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I always called it the uh, the eight o'clock flood. That it didn't matter what <laughs> happened in the world. At eight o'clock, twenty students were walking into my classroom, whether I was ready or not. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. And so it was really more about and, how did they, I how did I plan? Yeah, because they expected you to be there. Yeah, they expected they, you to be ready. Yeah, exactly. 
So, um, did you ever have those moments? You know, you kind of described that a little bit, but didn't, you know, did you have those moments where you just kind of stop and look around and be like, what in the world have I gotten myself into here? <laughs> yeah. I like to say that, uh, you know, the only, so I was, okay. So I'm, I'm in this program at Notre Dame, right? Mm-hmm. So um, imagine the scenario for a second. I'm teaching in two different departments, chemistry and English. I have the University of Notre Dame flying people down to observe me teach. Oh, wow. Because it's a master's program. But if you're going to do that, that means the principal wants to know what you're doing. Two department chairs want to know what you're doing. The academic dean wants to know what you're doing. And I kid you not one day, the superintendent wants to know what you're doing. Oh, wow. So what ended up happening was I, I had somebody observing my teaching, if not every week, certainly every other week. Oh, right? wow. I mean, it was just constantly people in my classroom. And I had to realize, like, I couldn't do the dog and pony show every day. I had to be the best teacher I could be mm-hmm. and just be that whether they're there or not. And I think getting to your question, I sort of had the epiphany early on that I was doing some things well and I was doing some things horribly, but that I was the only one who could sort of be witness to all of that. Mm-hmm. that people came and went but that I would sort of hire and fire myself several times a day. You know, that was a dumb move, Mike. Oh, hey, nice. The kid seems to have gotten it. Way to go. Mm -hmm. And I told myself, you know, early on, as long as I hire myself back more times than I fire myself, I'm going to keep doing this thing. Oh, yeah. And in some ways, that's still true. You know, I'll be in the middle of a a lesson now, and I'll think, you should have prepared more for this. You know, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? Right. And other times you'll think, this worked. It's working. It was so, oh, yes, they've got it. Yes. Um, and I think, that, so I think that's part of the, the sort of mindset uh, that we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So how long did you, how long did you teach in uh, K-12? So I was a classroom teacher for four years. Okay. And then when I, uh, I transitioned, actually, believe it or not, I actually transitioned after my second year. I became an administrator okay. as well. Oh, wow. And so I, I was an administrator for two years. Uh, I worked with, we had 1,650 students at the, at the high school. I worked with the 50 students who were in the most disciplinary risk uh, at the school. They sort of, Mike's, they, what do they call it? Fagella's Fabulous 50. Okay. Um, because they were, they were, you know, mostly, and this is what we're going to transition to, they were mostly kids who were struggling to learn and didn't know what to do with that behavior mm-hmm. as they got, as they got frustrated. Yeah. There were some kids who had weapons and, and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was a relatively short, short career for me. Thankfully for the world, I only taught chemistry for one year. I got to teach <laughs> English for four years and, and continue to love and have that as a passion. Oh yeah. And then an administrator for two years. Okay. That's great. So, you know, what, what, uh, what, what led you into higher ed? You know, talk about that kind of, uh, that shift in your, yeah. in, I guess, in either career goals or thinking. You want to know if I got hit in the head or like <laughs> right, that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what truck hit you I, that you know, disoriented you long <laughs> enough to, to actually accidentally walk toward the graduate school? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, you, I, don't, I don't want you to uh, run out of tape uh, metaphorically yeah. here, but uh, I, I would say there were two things that were going on. You know, one was the, the, the experience of teaching chemistry has never left me. Um, the, the idea of teaching, I happen to have been, I don't know why, but I loved stoichiometry. I loved the idea of figuring out mathematically the limiting reagents and, and what kind of products you can mm-hmm. come up with, things like that. Yeah. It was glorified algebra. 
and my my high school students were really struggling with you know equations where a equals b over c solve for c and they couldn't do it mm-hmm. and so i stopped teaching chemistry and i started teaching math because i needed to i needed to sort of we we have to do these prerequisite skills and why why isn't this happening and simultaneously mm-hmm. i was i was teaching in english um you know i didn't always teach the same thing in english so um I started off my first year teaching freshmen, but I had two different groups of freshmen. I mm-hmm. had kids from the 20th percentile to the 80th percentile, what we called our accelerated class. And then I had kids from the first percentile to the 20th percentile. Mm-hmm. Um, they all got in. It was just a, a placement exam. And so those kids really had some underlying skills where they were struggling. I would give them a really simple short story, like the, the most dangerous game where, you know, um, there's a shipwreck and uh, one character rescues another and they yeah. end up hunting each other. I can't believe we actually teach that to kids in schools, but there I was teaching it. Very simple text structure, very straightforward language. And I had students who really struggled with that. Mm-hmm. But I, I also taught British literature. I had the honors section of juniors who had British literature. And, mm-hmm. you know, when we got to Hamlet or we got to Beowulf, I had students who really struggled. And, and I understood that they struggled with that because I struggled with that. Oh yeah. But why is it that why would, why did other kids struggle with this this idea of a simple short story? And so I started asking some different questions about how do kids learn? What are some of the barriers and roadblocks to learning? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know more about how to solve their problems. I wanted them to enjoy the literature as much as I did. Yeah. And really, the that's sort of part one and part two and. Simultaneously, you know, I, I told you the story early on. I, mm-hmm. I had met a girl, and, and uh, things didn't work out. But uh, Holy Cross was very good to me, and that I, I met while I was there my my current wife, right, uh-huh. my, my future bride. Yeah, uh, and uh, she had moved to Jacksonville after my first year, and had been working uh, community organizing in the city. So we had been dating and decided okay. to get married, and um, we were building a brand new Catholic high school across the city. And I was already an administrator, so I was on the on the fast track to principalship and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, pretty happy about it actually. Mm-hmm. And she turned to me as we were getting married and said, "So where are we going next?" And I said, uh, "Bishop Snyder High School, <laughs> huh. <laughs> which is across the city." Yeah. She said, "I don't know. I don't think I don't, I'm not so sure about that." Yeah, said, really. She's, and she started to ask me to sort of imagine what do I want to do and where do I want to be and and was that really what what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I told her about this desire that I had to really understand why was it that my, some of my students were struggling and struggling with different things. Yeah. She said, you know, what about being a professor? And Oh, gosh, did I dismiss that right out of hand? I could never do that. I could right. never be a professor. And she really walked me through Kirby. I, she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if I applied and I didn't get in, you know, that'd be sort of it. And I'd be kind of disappointing. Yeah. And one of the most, again, pivotal moments in my life. I think teaching has always sort of been a lifeline for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kate, my wife in particular, you know, she said, uh, well, if you don't get in, they'll tell you why. And you do those things, and then right. you reapply. Huh. And Kirby, yeah. it was like, you know, the scales fell away from my eyes. I was like, <laughs> oh, wait, you can do this? What? Yeah. Is that just a, a measure of who you are as a human being? If you don't get into a graduate program, yeah. you're then done with life? No, of course not. I didn't, you know, again, silly thinking. Yeah. So I, I called some old professors, and um, quite frankly, uh, again, for anybody who's listening, I called some professors who I didn't want to call because I didn't get along with them when I was their student. Mm-hmm. And, or maybe I didn't admire them, but I knew they were experts in the area that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And I had life-changing phone calls with these people. 
Um, they were so generous. They were so kind. They connected me with the people that would end up being my advisors at the University of Kansas in a doctoral program. Wow. Um, I was able to get, uh, I was put on a leadership grant, which means that four years of my PhD were completely paid for. Oh, that's great. Uh, while I was studying special education, um, I got a stipend to go. Mm-hmm. And all I had to do was I, I, I got four years of money and I had to give two years of service in the field for every year of money that I took. So I had an eight-year commitment afterwards to be a professor, which mm-hmm. is what I wanted to be in the first place. Yeah. So super. But yeah, it, it, was, it was a weird combination, Kirby, of students not doing well, really me not doing well as their teacher and mm-hmm. wanting to get better, and a, and a wonderful partner in life who said, well, what can you imagine? Where do you want to be? What yeah. do you want to do? Well, that's great. And, uh, and of course now you're here with us and at TCU, we're all, uh, working together and, and still trying to figure it out in some ways. <laughs> you know, every, I, you know, I, I long have maintained, I mean, you, you were in elementary school. Uh, I, I taught in high school. The only constant there is the teachers stay, the kids get to keep going. Right. And I feel like it's, it's for us. We, we, every semester we, we ask those questions. What worked? What didn't work? Exactly. How can I get better at this? Yep. Uh, so if there's any listeners out there that are, are previous students of mine, I promise I'm still trying to get better. <laughs> <laughs> I say the same thing. So, you know, kind of thinking back to that very first year, you know, when, if, when you sit in, you know, kind of where you are now, uh, when you think back on that first year, what do, you, what, what do you think about the most? What comes to mind? When I think back, Kirby, on my, my first year of teaching, I, well, I have kids now. So I, I know what's really the hardest thing to do, which is to be a parent. Like Mm -hmm. I, I get that, right. That's, that's life changing. Um, but I think being a first year teacher was one of the hardest, most humbling experiences that I'm proud of in my entire life. Yeah. That that I said before, you know, I, I I would hire and fire myself several times a day Mm -hmm. and I'm really, I was really happy that I, I hired myself back more than I fired myself. Mm-hmm. And then I knew the connecting with, in my particular case, connecting with adolescents, um, high school students, college students, it's my vocation. It's, mm-hmm. it's the thing that gives me voice and helps me to feel like who I am. Yeah. And on many occasions, teaching has been better to me than I've been to it. Mm-hmm. It has really been, a, as I say, a lifeline. And I, and I also, I've got all four yearbooks from the high school, Kirby, so I'll tell you, I look back and I think I had some horrible haircuts. <laughs> uh, I, I really just, oh, embarrassing. And I worked with, um, I worked with some wonderful people, some mm-hmm. generous people, uh, some people who were early career teachers as well. I found kindred spirits. We mm-hmm. planned together. We gave each other solace and comfort. Um, we laughed together. And that is also a group of people that's my, um, my son's godfather was a, a first year teacher with me. Oh, wow. Um, that's the kind of relationship that we, that we developed. As a matter of fact, my daughter's godparents were also first year teachers with me, but at a different school, but they were in the, in the same master's program. Okay. That is a crucible of my development. There's no question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, hey, Michael, uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to tell us your story. I mean, it's fascinating. I think it's uh, in many ways it's it's inspiring and encouraging. I just really appreciate you know the work you've done, uh, the work you continue to do, and uh, just thank you for taking some time to to visit with us. 
Kirby is my absolute pleasure. I always enjoy talking to you. And, uh, this has been a wonderful trip down memory lane. I feel like, uh, I feel like I have some phone calls I need to make to reach out to some of those people. So thank you very much. All right. Well, I won't keep you from it. Good talking to you, Michael. Take care. Bye-bye.